Good evening. I'd like to give you a warm welcome as we meet around God's Word, as we meet together as a, a church of God's people, and we pray that He would bless us. Now, welcome whether you're here with us in the building or whether you're joining us online. Let us commit our time to, to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would be with us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be among us. We pray that this would be a time where we come and worship you and praise you and learn from you. We pray that you would save us from a form of tradition, from a form of ritual, but we pray there will be a freshness as we come under your word tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to, um, with our first hymn, we're going to, it's a, a hymn of prayer, which is, Come, O fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. And that's our prayer, isn't it? That God would come and tune our hearts to sing his grace and his praise. Let's stand as the music starts.
Well, we've got three readings this evening from the, the book of Micah. Three readings from the book of Micah, which is on page 777. And the first reading is in chapter 3. Now, Micah, he was prophesying to the southern kingdom, to the kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom had already been taken captivity by the Assyrians. And in his prophecy, he's denouncing things like idolatry, like ritual worship, um, violence, covetousness, and exploitation of the poor, whilst at the same time encouraging the people to turn to God in repentance. So let's turn to chapter 3, and it's four verses from chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. And this is Micah speaking. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who built Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be be ploughed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. And then we're going to go to chapter 6, and chapter 6 we're going to read verses 1 to 8. Verses 1 to 8. And this is Micah speaking again. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent you, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal? that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And then our last reading is in chapter 7, the last three verses, 18 to 20. 
Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And we look forward to Mark bringing God's word, God's message out of that chapter. Well, we're going to stand and sing our next song, which is, What Love Could Remember, No Wrongs We Have Done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Let's stand with the music. Shall we come to that merciful God in prayer? Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a merciful God. We thank you that you show so much steadfast love. We thank you that as we come here before you in prayer today, 
we can because of that love through your son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we look at ourselves and we think of the wrong that we have done. And Lord, we're amazed that your mercy is more than what we have done in offending you. We are amazed that you put our sins as far as the east is from the west. We are amazed that you put our sins at the deepest part of the sea. And Father God, we we come before you and acknowledge that none of us deserve it. None of us deserve your mercy. None of us deserve your grace and love through your Son, the Lord Jesus. But we thank you for it. We thank you for that love. And we pray that in our lives we would respond to it. That in our lives we would want to praise you. We want to live our lives in a way that honours you. We pray that you would help us to do that. Lord God, we ask for any who, who do not know you as their father. We ask for any that, who do not know your son as their saviour. We pray for any that aren't convicted about their sin, who are casual, who are carefree. Lord, we plead with you that you would open blind eyes, that you would break hard hearts, that deaf ears would hear. We pray the Holy Spirit would be working in a mighty way. And Lord, convicting people of sin and, and pointing people to Jesus. Lord, we long to hear of souls added to your kingdom. And Lord, you know each of those that are on our individual hearts who we pray for. Lord, we lift them up to you, whether they are family members, whether they're friends, whether they're neighbours, whether they're work colleagues. Lord, we pray that you'd hear prayer for the lost. And we pray and ask in mercy you would save. Lord God, we thank you that um, you're a God who not only cares about our sin to send your son, but Lord, you care about us in our everyday life. Lord, in those times when things are going well, and we look to you and praise and thank you for those times, and we ask that when things are going well, we would still be um, relying on you, we'd be leaning on you, that we would not be forging our own path. And Lord, when things are are difficult. Lord, we pray that we would bring the, our troubles to you. Lord, you know each of our hearts, you know each of our lives. You know the difficulties that we have, whether they would be physical, Lord, whether they be mental, whether they be stress, whether they be money, or whether they be with work. Lord, you know each of us and our situations. Lord, we would especially commit Malcolm to you at this time, and pray that you would be with him in hospital. We ask that, Lord, that the tests would be done. And we pray that, that you would help the doctors, give them wisdom in knowing how to treat him. And we pray that you would help him uh, with his illness. And Lord God, we commit Gwen to you as well. And ask that you would be with her and give her peace at this difficult time. Lord God, we also commit to you those others that we know and love who... Um, are recovering from operations, and we ask that you would be with them. Lord God, we want to um, commit to you those who can't come out and meet with us, whether it's through age, 
Lord, whether they can't get to us. We pray that you'd be with them and ask that you'd meet with them as they read your word, as they watch online, as they listen to sermons online. We pray that they would find comfort and peace with you there. Lord God, we, we pray at this time as well, as you, as you have instructed us to pray for those who rule over us. We pray for our government. Lord, we ask that they, in their decision-making, would be making it for the good of the people. Lord, we ask that they would be looking to you for wisdom. We pray that, Lord, the fear of the Lord, Lord, would be over them as they rule us. And Lord, we admit none of us would want to do that, but we ask that they would look to you for wisdom as they rule over us. Father God, we um, commit Mark to you. We ask that you would be with him as he brings your word to us. We pray each of us would be willing listeners. We pray every one of us would be transformed and changed in some small way as we go into another week. And Lord, we pray that um, you would bless your word through Mark. In Jesus' name. Amen. So our our next song is um, Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life in you. That as you love, I too may love and do what you would do. Let's stand as the music starts. Good evening once again. Question for this evening, what does God require of us? What does God require of you? What does God want of us? I wonder if tonight we had uh, a pie chart 
that showed us how much we think about what God requires of us versus how much we think about what we require of God. I wonder what that pie chart would look like. Because we can spend an awful lot of time, can't we, thinking about what we require from God. Maybe all sorts of things. What we want from God. Getting better when we're ill. Peace. Protection from harm. Those are good things to want. But maybe we spend a lot less time thinking about what God requires from us. What God wants us to do. How God wants us to live. Maybe thinking about what God wants from us is just a very small slice in that pie chart. Well, I hope it's not. If it is, we're getting it very wrong. And we need to spend more time thinking about what God requires from us. So what does God require from us? I wonder if I went round the room and I asked each of you individually, I said, what does God require from us? What would you say? Well, in some ways, there's hundreds of answers. You could say, well, we were recently going through Colossians and, you know, there's all those instructions for employers and employees and husbands and wives and children and parents and there's many things. But if you could give an answer that kind of sums up what God requires from us, what might you say? Some of you may quote Jesus when he gave us the two great commands, be a good thing to do. Well, that's not where our focus is going to be tonight, but we are looking at something a little bit similar. In the Old Testament, we're going to be looking in the book of Micah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. It shows us what God requires of us. This is Micah 6, verse 8. It's to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Well, you can find that in Micah 6, verse 8. You can also find it on things like fridge magnets and posters, a bit like you can see there up on the screen. It's quite a, a famous verse. Some versions include uh, the word mercy instead of kindness. So the NIV and the King James Version use the word mercy instead of kindness. In fact, just this week, actually, I was uh, sharing with someone that I'd uh, settled on this verse and they'd seen it in someone's house just that day in a poster. It's a powerful verse. But if we're going to get the, the full force of it, we need to get the context of it. We need to understand its setting. So before we sort of dive into this verse, I do want us to look at the verses beforehand. What comes just before this? Well, in verses 1 to 7 of Micah chapter 6, we see a grand courtroom. The grand courtroom. The people of God have brought a complaint against him. Imagine that, have brought a complaint against God. They're tired of God. They feel that he's demanding too much of them. And so God comes to answer this complaint that the people have. And he brings his witnesses with him to the courtroom. And his witnesses are the hills and the mountains. I told you it was a grand courtroom. The hills and the mountains that have been there since the beginning, that have witnessed all of God's dealings with his people. They've seen everything that's been going on. And in verse 1 to 5, Martin read this bit out. God says, what have I done against you? 
It's like, why, why are you pushing me away so hard? How am I tiring you so much? God says, I've done so many amazing things for you. Don't you remember when I brought you out of uh, slavery in Egypt? Do you not remember when I redeemed you from Egypt? Don't you remember that I gave you Moses and Aaron and other leaders to take you to the promised land? Do you not remember that? Rooted people from last week. God says, do you remember when Balaam was um, hired by Balak to curse you? And what does God do? He changes it so that instead of Balaam cursing God's people, he, he pours blessings on them instead as God protects them. God says, I've done that for you. I've done so many amazing things. I've brought you to the promised land. All I've done for you is good. Why are you, why are you fed up with me? Why, why am I wearying you? But the Israelites don't answer that question. Instead, they ask their own questions. And as it starts off, it sounds quite positive. You think, that's quite a good question. They say, what can we bring to you, God? And you think, well, that's a good question. They're asking, what can they bring to God? But actually, what they're really saying is, God, what can we give you to just get you off our back? What can we give you to make you happy so that you're satisfied and we can just carry on with our lives? What's it going to take? They're like, will a burnt offering do? Can we give you a burnt offering? Will you be happy with that? That's quite a big sacrifice. Or what about a year-old calf? Something even more special. What about a year-old calf? God, will that satisfy you? Or how about a thousand rams? God, will you be happy with that? Or, or 10,000 rivers of oil? Is that going to make you happy, God? Okay, what about I give you my firstborn son, the most special thing I can have? Do you sense the sort of sarcasm and bitterness in in the way they're asking these questions? What's going to make you happy, God? Just tell me, I'll I'll give it to you. You see, these people have been making sacrifices for God. They have been following some of the rules. And they kind of feel that should be enough for God. Come on, God, you should be happy with that. You've told us what to do, we're doing it. They want to crack on with their lives and not feel guilty about things. And maybe we do that sometimes. And God has been so good to us. He's given us so many things, blessed us in so many ways, and yet sometimes we can have that attitude of just wanting to kind of do enough for God so that we can tick it off, so that we can move on right back to, to me, what I want to do. We, we follow some of his rules. I mean, look at us. We're at church on a Sunday evening. Some of us, it's our third service here today. And we can think... That should please God, shouldn't it? can tick that off. God will be happy with that, and then I can move on to the rest of the week and do what I want to do. Maybe you feel that sometimes God just demands too much, that he never seems happy. And you just think you're tired of serving him. Is that you sometimes? Could that describe you tonight? See, the people had lost all sight of of really who God was and what God wanted, or who God is. Their focus is entirely on giving things to God, ticking boxes. So they can be like, oh, I've done it. If we give this stuff to God, well, he should bless us and he should be happy. And yet, the rest of their lives was utterly offensive to God. 
Yeah, they might have done their sacrifices as they were told to, but the rest of their lives was utterly offensive to God. Injustice is everywhere and kindness is nowhere. Injustice is everywhere, kindness is nowhere. And we'll see that a little bit more in the story shortly. But they want God's blessings. In fact, they love to boast about the fact they were Jews. They were God's chosen people. Yeah, God's chosen us. But their understanding of who God is, of what God wants, is just so messed up. They're living selfish, greedy, wicked lives. And that's no exaggeration. And yet they're saying, well, God should be happy with us because we're giving him the sacrifices he wants. In the book of uh, Amos, God is speaking to his people in fairly similar circumstances. And it's quite shocking what God says. They're doing all this kind of religious activity and God says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. God's saying, I won't listen to your worship. I won't accept your offerings. God won't accept it because it's all fake. It's all a sham. They're they're doing all these sacrifices. They're keeping all the, the traditions. And yet they're showing in their lives that they just couldn't care less about God. They're obeying some of the rules, but they're massively violating some of the others. In Psalm 51, David says this, he says, The sacrifice that pleases God most is a contrite and a broken heart. Or a broken and contrite heart. They're falling into the trap of thinking we can just give God stuff, that's all he wants, a bit of obedience, and then he'll be happy. We can tick it off and we can do what we want and move on after that. And is that how we feel as we come to church? Sort of thing that coming is good enough, we've done what God's asked. And yet could it be that the rest of the week, from Monday to Saturday, is completely offensive to God? Could it be that we we come here because we feel like we should? Sort of takes away some of the guilt and yet actually we leave having not worshipped God at all. Or maybe uh, we're trusting in our daily prayers. And we're sort of praying, we're feeling better. Yeah, I've done that. I've, I've prayed every day this week and we feel great about it. But there's no love for God there. There's no trust in our prayers whatsoever. We're just doing it because it's an activity. We know we should. So what does God require of us? What does God require of us? When we go back to our key verse, this is what God wants from us. It says, he has told you, O man, what is good. It's like these people knew what was good, but they hadn't been listening, hadn't been remembering. And God's like, you know what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God requires of us. Just before we dive into this verse, I know we still haven't got there, but just before we get into this verse, there's something that is well worth saying about this verse. Now, uh, John Newton, he was the, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. Many of you would have heard of him. He says this, he says, Take notice that there is hardly any one passage in the Bible 
more generally understood than this. You may disagree with it, that, but it, it shows that this passage is one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. And the reason is, is because so many people think that by doing justice, by doing kind things, that is how we're acceptable to God. Uh, God will be pleased if we're volunteering our time and helping others, helping those in need, maybe heading up a social justice campaign. But as, as good as those things are, they are not the things that make us safe in God's holy presence. You know, there are sadly many people alive today who are trusting in their good works, trusting in helping others, and saying, how could God not accept me? We need to understand that nothing can make us good enough for God other than his blood. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us, that is the only thing that can make us acceptable in God's presence. So so these requirements are not requirements to be accepted by God into into heaven, into his home. These are the requirements for how we are to live if we are God's people. This is how we are to live if we are God's people. So let's, let's get into it. So firstly, do justice. Do justice. They needed to be told to do justice because they were being incredibly unjust. Bribery is everywhere. The leaders of the people are wealthy and powerful because they've been extorting the poor. They've been stealing. They've been greedy. Some of the uh, prophets have been promising uh, protection from God with a little bit of cash on the side. If you pay us, we'll, you know, give you all sorts. In Micah 2, we have this picture of of people lying in their beds, uh, devising plans for how they can uh, steal from their neighbour. In Micah 3, Martin read this. It says, they make crooked everything that is straight. And yet, they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? You see how corrupt they are? They're so corrupt that they don't even realise they're corrupt. Rather than loving their neighbour, they're thinking about how they can steal from them. They were very happy to force widows out of their houses. They were happy to steal inheritances off children. What are they going to do back? But God is a God of justice. Now, God being a God of justice doesn't just mean that he will bring punishment on the wicked, though it does involve that. It also means that he will do what is right and good for everyone, so that everyone can flourish and thrive in his creation. God is just. He's the father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the widow. And he's disgusted by what he's witnessing. He abhors oppression and violence. He hates it. He's a God who cares for the weak. He cares for the poor and the needy. And it's not just that that's kind of something that he's like. This is an important part of who he is. And we see this perfectly in the life of his son, don't we? If you look at the life of Jesus, don't you see that? His compassion for the needy. He lifts up the poor. And he rebukes the abusers. Do you remember what he said uh, to the Pharisees at one point? He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice 
and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, during COVID, you may remember there was a time when Luke did a children's talk. And I remember he had a plant here. And uh, he was like taking off one out of every ten leaves. And it was just showing that this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were like being so careful to follow some of the rules. They were like, God, look at what we're doing. Look at how careful we're being to obey your rules. And yet they had no care for the poor. They abused the poor. And Jesus says justice is a weightier matter. They've neglected the weightier matters. They've missed off the things that are the most important. Justice is so important to God. And these people here have completely neglected it. Completely forgotten about it. Now it'd be nice, wouldn't it, if we could look back at the 8th century BC, or we could look back at Jesus' time and see a world that's completely unrecognisable. Of course, in some ways it is. Obviously, technology is hugely different. But isn't this world today shamefully similar to the world that we read about in Micah? Injustice, greed, oppression. We recognise all of those things well, don't we? The world today that we live in is just as broken. See it all over the news. And of course, you know, we can immediately think of some of the, the big injustices. But there's many micro injustices as well, aren't there? And sadly, maybe we're involved in some of those. You know, sadly, there's many people around in churches around the country who are, who are super careful to keep some of the rules that God's given and pride themselves on those rules and yet actually have no love for God and have no love for others. Not really. You know, if we are God's people, we should be treating people how Jesus treated them. You know, if you want to know what it means to do justice... Copy Jesus, and you won't go wrong. If you want to have have the perfect idea of what it means to do justice, copy Jesus in all that he does. But it's worth taking a quick look at your life. Are you treating other people badly in any way? Shouldn't be. Do justice. They needed to hear it. We need to hear it. But what else? Love kindness. As I said uh, before, sometimes uh, translations um, translate it as mercy, sometimes steadfast love. I think a blend of all those words is probably quite a helpful way of sort of understanding it. God wants us to love love. He wants us to love mercy. He wants us to love kindness. But you notice the, the difference between this and the first point. The first point is do, act. This isn't just a kind of do something, it's to love it, to love showing kindness, to cherish showing love, however unlovely people may be, to delight in showing mercy. Not just to show mercy, but to delight in showing mercy. It's a heart attitude. Do you love showing kindness? Do you love showing love when people clearly don't really deserve it? Do you love showing mercy? Forgiving people again and again and again and maybe again if necessary? Do you delight in showing mercy to people? 
If we have a heart that loves kindness and mercy and love, then we have a heart that is like God. Listen to how God is described right here at the end of Micah. I I love this passage, absolutely love it. So chapter 7, verses 18 to 19. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in steadfast love. You see, God may be angry at sin, but he delights in steadfast love. He loves showing love. He loves showing mercy. And just a quick word for you, if you're feeling guilty tonight, if you're not saved by Jesus, this is good news for you, that God loves saving people. It's not just that it's there and available and it's kind of, well, take it if you want it. God delights in saving. He delights in demonstrating his mercy and love. Verse 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. I love that. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Why? Because he's got so much compassion on us that he wants to do that for us. So why does he want us to show kindness to other people? Why does God say love kindness, love mercy? Because that's what he's like. And he wants us to show others what he is like. He wants to extend his love and his mercy to other people through us. When we're not kind, when we're not merciful, when we're unjust, we distort who God is to the world around us. It's partly why God is so angry at those in Micah. And what gives us the ability to show mercy, true uh, true kindness? Because if you're sitting there thinking, wow, that's hard to do, yeah, What gives us the ability to do that? Well, I think the only thing that can give us the ability is experiencing God's true kindness and mercy to us. The more we experience God's kindness and mercy, the more we understand God's love to us. Sorry, bear with me just a moment. You know, if we don't delight in in mercy, if we don't delight in kindness, it might be helpful to ask the question, have we experienced God's kindness? Have we experienced God's mercy? Because when we really understand it and we grasp it, it should really impact us. If we love God, we should be on the lookout to demonstrate his goodness, his kindness, his mercy to those around us. And then lastly, walk humbly before your God. Walk humbly before your God. Well, this is the last bit of it, but it's by no means the least To walk humbly before God. To be humble means to live in a way that shows that we understand that he is God and that we are human. That he is creator and we are created. That he is awesome and holy and that we are small and sinful. 
To be humble means that we have God at the centre of our lives. That his wishes become our wishes. That what he desires become the priority in our life over our desires. We can so easily have it, can't we? Where God becomes a small part of our life rather than us being a part of his life. And we can sort of come to God and treat him almost like a servant, almost like a genie, not realising that we should be his servants. And again, if we, we truly want to understand humility, where do we look? We look to Jesus, the one who had ultimate power, and yet he did not abuse it as the people in Micah's they did, but instead he gave that up. He came to earth. We see in Philippians, he came to die, the death of a criminal. Not just any death, but the death of a cross. But this last bit, it doesn't just say be humble, does it? It says to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. You see, God may be awesome. He may be greater than we can ever imagine. But he can be our God. He can be our God. And he longs to walk with us. He longs to have a relationship with us, to know us. And he wants us to love him as he's loved us. It's what the people in Micah got so wrong. So it was just about ticking things, making them go away. That will keep him happy. No, what God wants is a relationship with us, as amazing as that is. This morning, John mentioned the, the plaques and the different pastors. And I uh, just want to mention briefly Stanley Dells. Now, I didn't know Stanley Dells. Some of you did. Uh, but he was a, a pastor here uh, before Peter Rowell. And uh, as the pastor, several people left homes to him uh, when they died. And he could have been a very rich landlord. If he'd have been like the people in Micah, he could have charged people a lot of rent. But what did he do instead? He gave it out to people with incredibly low rent. And he was known for living an incredibly simple life. He dressed simply, he ate simply, everything he did was simple and cheap. And he was loved by many. And he was, by all accounts, a man who lived justly, who loved kindness, and who was known to walk humbly with his God. You know, what we've looked at tonight, especially when we get the context of it, is a very challenging message. This is a high calling that we're called to. But you know, when this is lived out, it's a beautiful thing. You know, when we do this with God's help, motivated by his love for us, it is a beautiful thing. And you know, it enables us to show God to the world. In a way that they don't just hear about God when we talk about him, but they see him. They see him in us. We may not be able to change the world. Maybe we'd love to go out and just change the world, make it a better place. Sadly, we, we can't do that. But you know, if we've been loved by God, if we then love others, we can go out and we can show other people a little bit of a glimpse of heaven. And a glimpse of God. And I think that's a pretty special thing.
So what does God require of us? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Well, we're going to sing a song now. And it is about God's everlasting kindness to us. And it's a challenge, really. It's given us his everlasting kindness that he's lavished on us. Let's go out and lavish this on other people. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing together. Thank you.
Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the mercy and the grace and the kindness that you have lavished on us. Lord, we may not be able to look back to Egypt, but Lord, we can look back to the cross. And we can see how you bled and died to give us freedom and life and peace. And Lord, you pour so many other blessings on us too. And Lord, I pray that we'd be blown away by your goodness to us. Lord, you are a God who delights to show love to us, even when we are incredibly unlovely. And Lord, I pray that we would be like that too. Lord, that we would delight to be like you. Lord, to do justice. Lord, to love kindness. And Lord, I pray that we would walk humbly with you. Lord, with you as our God. Lord, forgive us for the times when maybe we've come to church or come to worship or done things just to appease you. Or just to get blessings from you. And yet have not loved you. Have not sought any relationship with you. Lord, forgive us, I pray. Lord, I pray that we'd be so in wonder of all that you've done. And all that you are. Lord, that we would delight in showing others that same mercy, that same kindness. Lord, that they too may know you. And Lord, we look forward to a day in the new creation when there will be no more injustice. When everyone may know your true kindness. Lord, when we may delight in being in your presence. Lord, we look forward to that day. And Lord, I pray that you bless us as we go away from this place. Keep us, help us to remember what we've heard. And I pray that you bring us back safely together next time. In Jesus' name. Amen.